From WDBM East Lansing, this is The Undercurrent, a weekly radio show that brings you audio narratives produced by students at Michigan State University. Welcome and happy Halloween to those who dare to listen in. This week, the undercurrent is taking a horrifying turn in celebration of everything spooky. Unsettling and creepy short stories will be broken up by true tales directly from the mouths of fellow students. So sit back and prepare to be unnerved by this nightmarish episode. Like Feather Like Bone by Christy Demeester The little girl is under my porch eating a bird. Her hair is matted. She didn't bother to push it back before she began. And blood is clotted against the white strands. I try to ignore her, but she's crunching its bones. And the sound is like the ground cracking open. I creep under the porch, squat near her, but not too near. She still has her milk teeth, and they're a sharp, a tiny row of pointed knives. Small feathers cling to her heart-shaped face. You shouldn't do that, sweetheart. It's not good for you, I say. I want wings, wings the color of the sky, she says, and slurps at the bird's eyes. What's your name, darling? Mama said I don't have one, but your name's Nick. How do you know my name, I say? But the little girl shakes her head. It's a secret, she says, and licks her hands, her small pink tongue darting in and out of the spaces between her fingers where the blood is dripped. I feel like I should take her inside, put her in a hot bath, wrap her in the thickest, fluffiest towel I can find, but it's... It's her mouth that keeps me from taking her in my arms. She gobbles down a slimy string of meat, and I look away. Where's your mama? Under the water, under the water, she says, and her voice lilts up and down as if reciting a nursery rhyme. My skin blossoms into goose flesh despite the warmth of the late September afternoon. She went under the water. The sky doesn't go in the water. I want to be like the sky. She looks at me. She looks through me. Do you want wings, too? A heaviness comes over me. My fingers scrabbling through the air. I kneel beside the girl and watch her pluck the feathers from the bird. She gathers them in her hand one by one, and she laughs. It's like music. And I'm so tired. I lie down in the dirt. It's cold and damp, but refreshing in its own way. The little girl hums, her voice high and quavering, and arranges the feathers around me. Her fingers are streaked with blood, but 
I don't care. She places the feathers in my hair, tests their color against my eyes until she's satisfied. She pats my cheek and her hands are sticky. There, now you're a bird too, she says, and resumes her song. Her voice is delicate, fragile, a thing I could take in my hands and crush. So easily breakable. Something flutters at my feet. A small sparrow hops towards us, its beak opening and closing. You're calling them, I say. And she snatches the bird, watches it wriggle against her grip before snapping its neck. The sound seems to echo against the slats of the porch, fills up the space. I think of screaming, but I, if I start, I, I won't stop. She grins, her mouth all teeth and gore, and holds out her hand. The bird is still. I want to take it from her, breathe life back into it, but I... I can't. My mouth's still working to even push air out of my lungs. I... Look! She says and turns, lifts her shirt to explore his bare shoulders. You see? It's working. Dotted against smooth flesh are small bumps, dark specks against pale skin. Tiny feathers beginning to sprout. Something sharp gnaws at my stomach. I'm hungry. So, so hungry. And the girl turns back to me, places the sparrow near my mouth. Don't you want wings? She says. There's a roaring in my gut. Aching, screaming to be filled, and I take the bird in my hand, bring it against my lips. It's... it's so small. I... I don't think it'll be enough. I can get more, she says. Behind her, small wings the color of the night sky unfold, flutter for just a moment before settling. I bare my teeth. Press them against the warm flesh, tear at the soft feathers... It burns as I swallow. The little girl sits with me, sings her song into the growing night. Beneath my skin, my bones shift, and the dead make room for something else. Okay, so this past summer, um, I was working as a pool manager, but the winter before, I was working as a, just a normal lifeguard, um, and we had an indoor pool season where, you know, we'd just get little foot traffic, you know, it would be somewhere, our shifts would be between 3 p.m. and 7 p.m., but at the end of the night, we always had to kind of clean up and do whatever, and we're pretty much the only person in the building at that point, and so, you know, I'm just kind of, you know, one night, you know, no one's there, I've I want to close about a half an hour early. You know, I, I turn off the, the main light and then I turn off the pool light. And then afterward, I had to patrol the ballroom and this grand staircase kind of area to make sure there's no one there. And so sure enough, I'm just kind of like, you know, walking around, doing whatever. And then I kind of hear some splashing going on in the pool. So I, you know, I had to grab my keys. You know, I, I unlock the door to the, you know, to the pool, open up, turn on the light, no one there. 
No splashing, no nothing. So then I kind of, I close it again and I just, you know, I'm walking back around and, you know, nothing's really going on and all of a sudden I just hear the splashing again. And I really don't know what's going on at this point because I've locked it twice now and there's no one there. So I, um, finally I just, you know, go back in and I check it, nothing. And I, so I do it again and it happens a third time. And at this point I'm just kind of really just trying to like make the rounds, get out of there. And so I just sprinted out gave the keys to our security guard, and the security guard says, yeah, that's been happening for years, that's the ghost. <laughs> you can hear it, you can see it, anything. Like, I've never had that kind of encounter. I've, you, you know how, like, you get a presence sometimes when you, you know, you enter a room, you can kind of feel, it feels a little eerie, get the goosebumps. Um, no, but this was, like, a very, like, I could hear it, and it was terrifying. Memory by H.P. Lovecraft In the Valley of Nis, the accursed waning moon shines thinly tearing a path for its light with feeble horns through the lethal foliage of a great upas tree. And within the depths of the valley, where the light reaches not, move forms not meet to behold. Rank is the herbage on each slope, where evil vines and creeping plants crawl amidst the stones of ruined palaces, twining tightly about broken columns and strange monoliths, and heaving up marble pavements laid by forgotten hands. And in trees that grow gigantic in crumbling courtyards, leap little apes, while in and out of deep treasure vaults writhe poison serpents and scaly things without a name. Vast are the stones which sleep beneath coverlets of dank moss, and mighty were the walls from which they fell. For all time do their builders erect them, and in sooth they yet serve nobly, for beneath them the grey toad makes his habitation. At the bottom of the valley lies the river Than, whose waters are slimy and filled with weeds. From hidden springs it rises, and to subterranean grottoes it flows, so that the demon of the valley knows not why its waters are red, nor whither they are bound. The genie that haunts the moonbeams spake to the demon of the valley, saying, I am old, and forget much. Tell me the deeds and aspect and the name of them who build these things of stone. And the demon replied, I am memory, and am wise in lore of the past, but I too am old. These beings were like the waters of the river Than, not to be understood. Their deeds I recall not, for they were but of the moment. Their aspect I recall dimly, for it was like to that of the little apes in the trees. Their name I recalled clearly, for it rhymed with that of the river. These beings of yesterday were called man. So the genie flew back up to the thin-horned moon, and the demon looked intently at a little ape in a tree that grew in a crumbling courtyard. When I was like like one year old till I was like six years old, I lived in this certain part of Clinton Township that I guess... The house that we moved into had, like, legit had something haunting it. Because when my parents were looking at it, like, my mom is, like, super religious. And so she had, like, a really weird feeling about the house, you know? But my dad was like, hey, you know, it's close to, like, literally everything we need. There's so many amenities. and But then my mom was like, all right, well, you're happy. I'll purchase this house. Let's go. It's big. It has all these rooms. And so... Nothing really happened right away, but more towards the tail end of when we lived in the house because we moved out like right after stuff started happening. 
first of all, my brother had this Mario Kart themed alarm clock and had Mario sitting in like a cart. And he noticed that at night it would move back and forth. He wasn't pulling on it or anything. I wasn't. And like, he was always like, hey, mom, like my Mario Kart clock moved. And of course, my mom's like, kids just say anything, you know, like, oh, there's kids being kids, you know, whatever. And it just kept happening. My parents were like, yeah, whatever. So then things started kind of escalating. He would go out into the garage and there was one day I was kind of chilling in the garage too. He was just walking. Then he said he just tripped and fell right on his face. But he was like, dude, something grabbed my legs, bro. And I was just like, bro, you're clumsy. Stop falling, you idiot. But he was like, no, like, did you grab me? And I was like, no, I'm all the way over in the corner just coloring with, like, chalk. And so then there was one day where we were playing in the family room. And we had, like, a staircase that went down to our basement right from the family room. And he left one of his toys in the basement. So he was like, all right, I'm going to go get my toy from the basement. And I'm just chilling, being like, yeah, bro, I got glue in my nose, you know. And all of a sudden, he screams and runs all the way upstairs into my mom's room. He was like, yo, there's a guy in the basement. And I didn't really understand what was going on. But, you know, he was screaming about this guy in, like, fishing gear in the basement and my mom had to go down there and be like shut up you idiot there's no one there you know like that where they have to be like you know oh there's see nothing there bro and of course nothing was there but that night i woke up and i saw his clock moving with my own eyes like literally i was like yo the clock's moving and then immediately after that i got the a really strong urge to throw up and it was crazy because like I had to go to the hospital because I, like, choked on it a little bit. And, you know, so it was crazy because it was, like, that day when there was, like, something in the house. Like, that happened, too. And it was crazy. And then my parents kind of were like, okay, maybe we should move. So before stuff got, like, into, you know, like, we inspired Conjuring 4, you know, we were like, okay, let's move into a different house. Apparently, the people who bought the house lived there for six months and then moved out. And then the people who lived there after them were there for like a year and then moved out. And uh, we haven't checked to see if like, you know, sometimes we go buy our old houses just be like, we live there, you know, crazy memories, you know. So a few years later, we were reminiscing on it. Just like our old house was haunted, crazy. And uh, then why did we see a fisherman? And I got curious and looked up the history of the area. Apparently, there was a river there. It dried up and then they filled it in and built houses on it. But there was a guy that would fish in that river and he drowned in it and died. And then they built houses over where he died. And that's where we lived. So basically, over quarantine, there's really nothing to do. So I got into like, true crimes and like murders and stuff like that and when you like kind of listen to all of them you kind of find like which one's your favorite and like that sounds crazy to have like a favorite murder but like I do in a way so I'm just here to tell you about Richard Ramirez who's also known as the Night Stalker I think his story is like completely crazy 
one of my favorite like murder stories if that makes sense richard maris was born and fe- on february 29th he was the youngest of like a family of like five or six he was the youngest and his parents were kind of abusive so he like kind of went down the wrong path he was delinquent growing up growing up didn't really have that guidance in life so he really found comfort in his cousin mike who had just come back from vietnam and his cousin also like absolutely crazy was showing him all the like the gruesome stuff that he did in vietnam like the murderings and the raping and he kind of like they would sit around and talk about like satanism like the two of them and like keep in mind richard ramirez is like 12 at the time and his cousin's like in his 20s and so his cousin's wife told him like hey i'm not comfortable with this like you're hanging out with this kid it's like weird you guys do weird stuff and his cousin kills his wife so then his cousin goes to jail then richard moves in with his sister and her her husband and her husband is like also just messed up so overall like growing up he did not have like the best models and like leadership so this really like takes an effect as he gets older so as he gets older he like starts going after like kids and like he molests a couple kids but the thing is there's kids going missing and they're they're being molested and like returned but they can't figure out who it is because he doesn't have like a preference usually for serial killers like Ted Bundy they have a preference of like the girls who they're looking for they all look a certain way or they're a kid of a certain age and stuff like that it's like he had no preference for age sex it was just like anyone he can get his hands on so after a while people are starting to like see these commonalities like people are dying they can't figure out who it is it's like late at night so come into houses and like rape the women and then like slit their throat and kill them and it's like really gruesome really bad but after a while, he has a couple of victims that he doesn't actually go through with, where he just, like, will rape them and, like, try to kill them, but then he'll get caught halfway through, so then he gets out of there as fast as he can. And one of the things that was so noticeable about him being this person, like, doing it, is that he had the worst breath possible. He had a diet of like just candy and soda. So his teeth was like decaying out of his face. If you look at this man, like you can see it. Like he just looks so gross. So after a while, he has this one victim where he like tries to slit her throat and like kill her, but it doesn't work out. And they're finally able, she like remembers what he looks like and everything. So they're finally able to identify what he looks like and they get his poster out everywhere so everyone can see, hey, this is the guy that's been like terrorizing our town. Like we need to catch him. If you see him, report him. And the thing is when they had put this out, he had left town to go visit his sister, but he comes back into town and everyone's like waiting around seeing if you come through the bus station, but he comes in through car by actually. So he's in town, he goes to like a shopping market and someone just happens to notice him and point him out. And this is the crazy part. This is my favorite part of the story. So they say something in Spanish and everyone goes crazy. He dashes out of the store and they're like chasing him for like a mile through residential areas. It's like all these people, like all these men just chasing him up the street. And when they finally get him, they like actually like beat him so bad in the middle of the street. Like cops had to pull the people off him to like make sure he wouldn't die right there in the street because they would have killed him. 
It was a moonless Halloween night. I was just walking home alone from work. I was passing the local cemetery, and all of a sudden there's a a noise coming from behind me. I didn't pay it any mind until I rounded the corner, and behind me I just heard... Walking faster, I look back through the fog, and I make out the image of an upright casket banging its way down the middle of the street towards me. I was mortified, terrified. I, I began to ran towards my home, but the coffin just kept bouncing behind me. I I ran up to my front door. I, I fumbled with my keys. I I opened the door, rushed in, slammed and locked the door behind me, but I watched as the casket slowly came up the driveway and stood in front of my door before The door crashed in. On my heels, I ran straight up my stairs, rushing into my bathroom. I, I locked myself in. I, uh, My heart's pounding, my head's reeling. I, uh, uh, breath is coming in sobbing gasps. The casket breaks down my bathroom door, slowly bumping and moving closer. I scream and, and reach for anything, something to throw, to stop it. I, I throw everything in the bathroom. There's nothing left. I, I, the last thing around, I, I reach for a bottle of Dayquil. I throw it at the casket and... The coffin stops. Falls over and lays bare. For cough medicine... Stops the coffin. Happy Halloween, everybody. And thank you for listening to this special episode of The Undercurrent on WDBM 89FM East Lansing.